Sean Connery Oscar winner and James Bond star dies at 90. And that wow. is according to Variety. I believe it then. I, I I understand that he in his uh, final years he had, had like dementia or Alzheimer's oh, or something like that, which mm-hmm. is why he had stopped public appearances several years back. I don't think it was ever publicly acknowledged, but that was always sort of the the, the word, word around. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's sad. I mean, it's kind of bad when you're. It's always bad when your mind goes before your body does. But damn straight. My yeah. biggest fear. Yeah, that's why I, you know I always get a little sad when around Paulie. <laughs> yeah, I love the guy, but it's just kind of oh, oh, he's so his body's so healthy. His mind little so. How many brain cells do you think he killed this uh, week in uh, Kentucky? Uh, 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 he had the few that he had left. <laughs> yeah, they're doing a Walker Texas Ranger reboot. They are. What? With who? Uh, I don't know who they cast, but I knew that they were doing it. I mean, who can take the place? Who can fill the boots and hat of Chuck Norris? You know, I got to tell you, you know, I don't I don't know if this travels outside of Texas. Chuck Norris has his own water, you know, vitamin water that he sells here. OK. And I plan to bring a case of it to uh, Mancon next time. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Padalecki. 15 years on Supernatural. Yeah. 15 too years. many. And then what, four, five years on Gilmore Girls prior to that? I mean, I, one of the things that I, I, I am really, that I really admire of like Jared Padalecki is his longevity in series television. Just yeah. like, uh, David, uh, Boreanaz, yeah, right? Right. You know, Buffy, Angel goes on and does Bones and that, you know, now at what, Seal Team Six or whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, just blows my mind. Yeah, the longevity in series television. I mean, these these are guys who are all about paying the mortgage. Real wife is going to play his spouse on the show. Well, why not get her a job, too? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Double dip. <laughs> Genevieve Padalecki will be playing the his spouse. I might be drunk, but for some reason, did, did they meet on the set of Supernatural, him and Genevieve? I have no idea. I'm going to Google that while Aaron says what he's going to say. I rather admire David Boreanaz's talents. Yeah. Uh, but Jared Padalecki, I find him to be uh, rather mildly talented, is how I'll phrase it. You know, I don't I don't find him to be a great actor. And so I am I very much admire his ability to stay employed in this business. Well, you know, I, I didn't I, I think that probably speaks to the fact that he's probably easy to do business with. I think people I think when you see an actor who works like that, that means they probably got a really good work ethic and people like working with them. You know, I feel like we're having a podcast right now. Are yeah. we recording this? I, 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 I am recording, and it will probably wind up in front of the bumper. <laughs> okay. Well, so Jared and Genevieve did meet on the set of Supernatural in 2008. Look at you. I haven't watched an episode of Supernatural beyond season five, maybe season six. I don't think I've seen anything since then. And it's been on for 15 years, or will be on 15 years, because the new I season's went- about to start. I went through like season seven or eight, and once they got to the kind of the Leviathan season, I, I dropped out after that. I watched a couple episodes this year of the first season. That's all and... I've ever seen of it. <laughs> that's the only. That's the only thing you've seen of Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, I've never wow. watched the show. You know, the the gaps in your pop culture experience are <laughs> are, are are they're chasms. <laughs> shocking. They're shocking. Because I mean, let's revisit the fact that Wayne has never seen a James Bond movie. Nope. And this on the heels of Sean Connery dying at age 90 today. I mean, oh my God. I mean, I feel like I need to kidnap Wayne 
and strap him to a chair and make him watch all the good Bond movies. I, I also feel like I need to kidnap Wayne. Uh huh. Well, but we could. I I could kidnap him first, and then I okay. could transfer him to you. Oh yeah. You know, we, and, we can meet like in Branson, about halfway in between. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. I'm not sure Branson's halfway in between, but yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I feel sure. like I'm doing the majority of the driving there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like once James again, Brandon. Andrew's screwing. <laughs> had to do a head count there i'm aaron this is wayne and i'm andrew Just you know uh, without paul in there it, yeah. well you know uh, paul I mean, that, go ahead we know that's why you really have him on just because paul sounds good after aaron <laughs> the flow well you know uh, paul is uh is is on uh suspension this week you know he uh you know we had we had to conference him you know, had to suspend him a you know a week without pay, and uh, you know, so he is not with us today. We ex we exiled him to the backwoods of Kentucky, That's where right. to think about what he did. That's right. That's right. Go, you go stand in a corner in Kentucky and think about what you did. So and he's so upset walk. he's just drinking <laughs> all the that, bourbon. It's from sorrow, not from joy. He's drinking right. from sorrow. That's right. That's yeah. right. But the bourbon levels have uh, sharply decreased while uh, you know, Paul is, is is down there in Kentucky. <laughs> but you know, and you know, we had we suspended him, and this is real punishment because he doesn't get to talk about season two, episode one of Mandalorian, or as we call it, I think chapter nine. Uh, but yeah, Mandalorian yesterday. Uh, did did both of you guys watch it? Absolutely. Yes. I, uh, you know, those of you who have uh, been listening to the show know that I am a late adopter to the Disney Plus, but uh, burned through uh, the entire first season a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it is really nice to to jump into season uh, two so so quickly because, you know, I remember everything that happened from, uh, uh, you know, it's all fresh on my mind. Uh, And, you know, did you I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but they must have shot this just really quick back to back because Baby Yoda hasn't grown much at all. Yeah, and I think it picks up right at the end of, of last season. I think they maybe a couple months, so you know yeah. he did not have time to like grow out of his. Uh, yeah. He didn't know, get that. Age. He didn't get that growth spurt, you know, and yeah, become one right. of those awkward teenage Yodas. <laughs> 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 so I mean, as I recall, we all really, really loved the first season of Mandalorian. Yes. Is my memory correct? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, and I, I argued with Paul about it because Paul told me that there were one or two episodes that were kind of duds, and I watched every single episode and went, which one? was he talking about because i loved them all i i, 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 I you know sometimes paul all of his taste is in his mouth that's all I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, well aaron what did you think about the the premiere episode of season two you know i don't read for television i usually don't read uh spoilers you know because I, I really do like to go in unspoiled i know that 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 is weird for a guy who's on a you know pop culture comic book podcast but i try not to read the media until you know we're about to sit down and do a show and 
<laughs> I was floored that Timothy Oliphant was in the episode of uh, the first episode of the season. Um, I loved his character. I love Timothy Oliphant. I mean, he is uh, he is just the coolest guy, and I I am on record as saying that totally go gay for Timothy Oliphant. Uh, love that son of a bitch. He uh, he he's great and justified. He's great in this, and I. I I, I really dig that we don't have to endure some of the genre tropes of the two guys having to fight the first minute they see each other, that they can actually talk themselves around it. And I noticed that, you know, Mando is not, you know, he will certainly, you know, draw down on a guy, but, you know, that's not always his first move. You know, like at, even at the top of the episode where he's dealing with the Cyclops guy, you know, he offers the guy, you know, look, I'm willing to pay for this information. <laughs> you know, I, I really don't have to hang you upside down from a street lamp. You know, <laughs> I could just pay you for this information. Uh, I, I, I love this character and it, it, it seems so genuine to Star Wars while also expanding how the universe's story is told. I, I, I dig this show so hard. Yeah, I can't wait to see what's going on for the rest of the season. I want to see him meeting some of the characters that uh, we know. Well, those of us that uh, do read news articles about it know are coming up in the show mm-hmm. and see how he interacts with them. Yeah, I uh, really loved uh, the first uh, episode Um and and as I agree completely with Aaron, Timothy Oliphant is so so cool. Um, and he's a spectacular in, hunk of man meat. I'm wasn't just he in Deadwood too? <laughs> yeah, sure was. Yeah, God. so yeah, he's perfect for that role that they uh, of the marshal that they put uh-huh. him in for this this episode. Uh, I, I am a little, and I did not rewatch season one in preparation, but uh, you know the the Mandalorian's quest. It is a bit mystical. The fact that his his thing is I have to find a Mandalorian doesn't matter which Mandalorian. I just need to find a Mandalorian, and they're going to tell me where to go. Uh, it seems a little for for a man as pragmatic and practical as uh, a Mandalorian is. That seems a little vague and mystical, but um, that's really my only uh, kind of uh, uh, small complaint about it. That I just know, felt like he was he was he was thinking that any Mandalorian would be better connected than him. But, yeah. you know, he had he talked to the armor. I mean, the armor is pretty well connected. She's the one who gave him the quest and was like, you know, there's a this tale of uh, Mandalore the Great having this war with these sorcerers called the Jedi right. uh, who could do these type of things. Go find other Mandalorians and they might know more. And uh, yeah, so but no, love the show, love the effects, love the I mean, that crate dragon was awesome. Yeah, yeah so huge. Yeah. I love the interaction between the uh, sand, the, which I did not see coming. The interaction between the sand people and the Mandalorian oh, was awesome. Which, which just goes to show you, they are sand people, not sand monsters. Anakin Skywalker. Oh, he's saying. a monster, and Anakin's yeah. the real monster, right? That's there. right. That is yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I am not a Star Wars extended universe guy. And, you know, uh, we, we've had many conversations over the years about, you know, my lack of knowledge of the, 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 the distant and dark corners of the Star Wars universe. I thought Boba Fett survived the Star, Starlight Pit, uh, in the extended universe. Was that? 
Yes, but the extended universe is not no a thing can. anymore. Yeah. So, so Boba Fett no longer survived the Sarlacc pit. His you death didn't and rec- return of, return you of the Jedi. You didn't recognize the actor at the end of the episode, did you? Well, I wondered about that. Uh, was he the guy who played uh, uh, Fett's father in in the prequels? Is that he was. who it was? Yeah. Yep, and he's done the voice of Boba Fett in a lot of the video games and. Uh, yeah, played the clones in uh, like uh, Cody in the last uh, of the prequels. Now that is Boba Fett at the end. Okay. I did not recognize him, Wayne. Thank you for pointing that out. Well, I, I, I saw him and I was like, "Ooh, that guy looks mysterious and dangerous." But I did not I, put together that, that that's who he was. Yeah, I backed it up twice. I'm like, I think that's the same guy. But I mean, it's been a long time since the prequels, so <laughs> I wasn't too sure. I verified it on IMDb because I there wasn't positive either. Yeah. Gotcha. Good. Good. Yeah. So he obviously does survive in the new universe as well. But so that's uh, that's at least something they kept in common with the old extended universe. Yeah. But you know, I I I I, there, I love everything about this show. The music in the show is fantastic. I love uh, the the uh, concept art end credits. I mean, it makes you want to sit through the end credits to look at all the concept art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I think you know them coming back and and shooting it so quickly so that you know Baby Yoda is still a baby uh, is great. <laughs> well, you know, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I'm a huge westerns fan. So uh, yeah, when- same. When Mandalorian is riding into uh, that that town, most what? Well, most places, I think it was called. Uh, uh, m- uh, most Plagos, I think. Most Plagos. I think. Uh, and he's riding real slow on the skimmer. In my uh, in my mind, he was riding a horse. But you know, I loved how it it's the the engine of it is percolating like a motorcycle. Blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I love it. It was like, I mean, yeah, you're getting that, that Western vibe. I'm getting a sons of anarchy vibe as well. Nice. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just beautiful. Just blah, 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 him See, coming in. I got a huge kick out of the scenes where, uh, both him and, uh, Oh, all the, well, well, both of them are on basically their speeders. Yeah. And they're going really, really slow because they're pacing with the big animals. The banthas. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's just something about seeing speeders going at, like, idle speed. Yeah. <laughs> it just amused I, me. <laughs> well, and it just looked like such a parade, you know, this, this, you know, they're marching off into war. I, I, I dug it. I dug this episode a lot. I really did like seeing another side of, of sand people. You know, yeah, I I, just, yeah. I really did. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, the uh, the I don't want to drink this. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed seeing their conversation about the fallout of the Empire's fall. Yeah. The, uh, you know, while it may be good for some places here, it led the local miners guild to become slavers. Yeah. I mean, nature abhors a vacuum and they're, they illustrated that very well. But what happened once one power went away, what, what walked right into that vacuum? Yeah, it was good. It was well, good. And, and I guess yeah, I giggled when, uh, you know, Oliphant and uh, Mandalorian headed out for the first time. Uh-huh. And, you know, see Mandalorian on his little itty bitty, you know, bare bones, uh, you know, uh, hover bike. And then all of a sudden Oliphant rolls up on his big hog. His hog. Yeah. And Oliphant gives him that look like, hmm. Mine's yeah, it, it's it's like Mandalorians riding a Honda. <laughs> it's a Harley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great. Nice. I, 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 and I, I just I think that the humor is pitch perfect in the show. Uh, Amy Sedaris. I mean, who would have ever thought you'd see Amy Sedaris in uh, a Star Wars thing? Yeah, yeah. I laughed out loud in that first scene when uh, Baby Yoda reached out, hit the button to close his uh, oh, yeah. crib. 
Yeah. And that's one of those rare things I'd seen that in the season trailer, right? But it was still funny. You know, they, they hadn't worn it out in the, in the trailer. Uh, it was funny in the show as well. I dug it from top to bottom. So good. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we're a little lukewarm last time around on Shang-Chi, the, the premiere issue of this series. Um, Shang-Chi number two came out this week, and uh, I read it. Who else read it? I read it. I read it. Oh, we got the trifecta. Look at you guys. So I am really curious, Andrew, because you, you had to get caught up. So you read both issues, one and two, uh, yes. coming into this. Tell me, tell me, Andrew, what would you think of Shang-Chi? Well, uh, you know, the first issue, I thought uh, it was OK. I wasn't overwhelmed, but it's not it's not like Seven Secrets issue one, uh, you know, didn't didn't really pull me in quite that strongly. But it was interesting to read about the the secret history of the Five Weapons Society. Uh, and I thought issue two was a big uh, for me, a big improvement in the story with the introduction of uh, or the interaction between uh, the brother and sister Shang-Chi and uh, was it Sister Hammer? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of learning about their, their history back, uh, when they're still living with their crazy immortal father. So, uh, I enjoyed it a good bit. I like, I like martial arts. I'm kind of a sucker for it. I like the addition of, uh, was it a sister knife and brother sword? So, uh, you know, again, it's not necessarily a must read. It's not, you know, my top two books I'm reading right now, but it's good. I've enjoyed it. I agree. I think that issue two is a big step forward. Uh, from issue one, uh, I really enjoyed the interaction between Shang-Chi and his sister. I, th- yeah. I thought that was great. And you knew the whole time, you're like, oh, this is going to turn bad. This is far too sweet. <laughs> She's been talking <laughs> yeah. about killing him for like an issue and a half. That uh-huh. something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it does. And I, I, I really enjoyed the transition to the, to Shang-Chi's mystical connection to his father. Yeah. Um, I, I think that issue two has a, has a lot of the things that I felt like were missing from issue one. Wayne, what'd you think? I hated this book and I'm out. <laughs> Everything I liked in the first issue was his interaction with the regular everyday world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was what I found fun in the book. And there's obviously none of that in here as they get more into the out there mystical aspects. I did like his interaction with his sister. I thought it was incredibly telegraphed that she was going to poison him. And all of this weird stuff with his immortal father, I didn't care for, nor did I care for his uh, bleeding stars. It just, this is not. I thought the bleeding stars were fascinating. I got to say, it sounds like Wayne hates everything that we like, Aaron. I I, I, I think history confirms that. Andrew. <laughs> yeah, no, well, what I like what I liked in the first issue was all of his interaction with the regular everyday world. That's the story I wanted to read, and mm-hmm. that's not the story of this miniseries. I enjoyed so that too. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping that we come back to some of that. But yeah. uh, I I really enjoyed uh, the connection with his sister, the connection with his father. I, I I got a big kick out of it, and and I am in for issue three. I will make a complaint that Marvel did not include the variant covers in the digital edition. And there were uh, variant covers by Alex Ross, Marcus Toe, and Rachel Rosenberg. I would have liked to have seen those. And I yeah. don't understand why they don't include those in the digital copies. That is a complaint I will always have, uh, yeah. always, if they don't put them in. Because, you know, putting the 
alternate covers in the digital copy does not, in my opinion, decrease the collectability of the alternate covers because I can't give someone my my comicsology, you know, thing. That's you know, right. It, you, having the physical book still is is, is valuable, uh, yeah. but you could put them in. You know, uh, some some comic publishers will just do them as like little thumbnails. Uh, you know, on one page, you'll have here are the four alternate covers, and then you can zoom in and look at them, whatever. Uh, and I'm fine with that too, but I don't, I don't understand why they don't put them in the book. Yeah, I, same. I, I don't get that. Well, you know, uh, in keeping with, you know, getting caught up on books, Andrew, yes. you picked up uh, issue four of Strange Academy. Did you read the prior three issues as well? Of course I did, Aaron. My I'm a professional. Word. I am, I am, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm making notes here for your annual review. So <laughs> I'm just saying that this is, this is crazy the amount of, of in-depth work you're doing. Uh, Wayne, did you pick up Strange Academy or are you out on this one? No, I was out after the first issue. I thought, I thought so. I just wanted to confirm. Uh, uh, Wayne's not a fan of the artwork in the book. And, uh, really? you know, whereas I am tickled by Umberto Ramos. Oh, uh, right. Wayne, I forgot not so much. I forgot Wayne hated Umberto Ramos art. Yeah. But uh, so, Andrew, I, again, I, I, I want to hear, you know, you have had the ability to absorb these books all at one time without the pandemic break. Tell me what you think of Strange Academy. Yeah, I really wasn't sure after reading the first issue, but I'd already bought issues two through four. So I, I, I kind of forged <laughs> you were, on. You were already in for 10 bucks. So uh, Correct. So, <laughs> well, and, I, and actually I read the first two issues on my Marvel Unlimited and then I read issues three and four through uh, Comixology. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, there were just so many characters in the first issue and, you know, some were distinctive, like the son of, like Doyle Dormano, which great name. Um, but a lot of them just kind of blended together, uh, and it was kind of hard to, to differentiate them. And there was just so much going on. I didn't really feel like they did a good job of establishing everyone's identity except for Emily Bright. Uh, it, that improved as the issues went on. You know, you kind of start to get a little more, um, better picture of each student you know i really enjoyed when they went out on the town i think it was an issue three at new orleans and you know went through the zombie museum and uh, uh you know had beignets and had their readings done and that i really was kind of a chance to kind of learn a little bit more about uh, a lot of the different characters uh but you know i like mystical things as we discussed about on shang chi i like magic books i'm a huge doctor strange fan so uh i really enjoy it um this most recent issue issue four where they play a game of door tag uh, it was kind of it was kind of fun. I was expecting after the end of issue three with the setup of the creepy tree guys, I was expecting this issue to be a little bit more heavier, a little more uh, threat laden. Uh, and certainly there's a little bit of that, but mostly it's just about a bunch of kids having a uh, you know playing in, in this crazy Hogwarts esque academy. Uh, and you know they show up in Asgard, they show up in Weird World. Uh, it's just it just tickles me. Uh, so I enjoyed it quite a bit. What, what did you think about the, oh, oh, and when Spider-Man shows up to save Emily Bright? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Cracked me up. So I, I enjoyed the door tag thing. The thing that had me concerned about door tag was that it was faculty uh, approved. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, because that just seems crazy dangerous. As they must have really good liability waivers on those kids. I, I mean, it just uh, it just kind of blows my mind that, you know, Emily Bright could have died if, you know, Spider-Man hadn't just happened by. And so I kind of thought for a moment that, that there would be, oh, yeah, we knew that that was going to happen. And that's why Spider-Man was there. But no, it was just, you know, it was luck that that uh, you had a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man around. But maybe maybe the odds of running into a Spider-Man are pretty high, given how many spider people there are these days. 
True. And, and I feel like Emily, had Spider-Man not been there, I feel like Emily would have used her magic to uh, keep herself from falling to her death. But uh, maybe that's just me being optimistic. Yeah. I enjoyed uh, – yeah, I like those kinds of stories where uh, you know, you're kind of jumping world to world and you're just getting little hints and glimpses of things that we might come back to in, in uh, larger detail later on. But what I – what I am a little frustrated with in terms of the story, and this is something, this is a question I have for you. Do you feel like we're not chasing a plot? We're not really engaged in any sort of, of, uh, of, uh, larger story. We just seem to be chasing, I don't know, it's almost like chaos, right? It's just like, uh, something crazy happens and there's no opportunity to tell the larger story. And so here we are in issue four and it feels like the adversary has finally shown up. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's where, you know, where the, the hollow shows up at the end of issue three. I thought we would jump right into that at the beginning of issue four and that would, it would focus on that and you kind of get into the main storyline. But yeah, no, you're exactly right. They definitely kind of tease it a little bit more and, and they kind of show up again at the end of issue four. And yeah. so maybe, maybe issue five is going to focus more on the hollow and, uh, what their designs are on the strange academy kids. Uh, I'd also really like them to come back to the whole, do you remember earlier on where Emily writes like, you know, I did this magic thing at home and was exhausted, uh, but here I'm doing all this magic and there's no, there's no fatigue. There's no toll. Right. And, and they're just like, oh, we took care of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're clearly breaking some rules yeah. in terms of the, w- the, w- the way magic works. And, you know, I gather that that's what the hollow men are upset about. Cause you know, they talk about the rot, you yeah. know, that this is causing, um, and, you know, given the scene in issues either one or two where the faculty is, you know, kind of t- talking in hushed tones about, you know, what we've done. Right. Uh, I feel like, you know, you know, obviously, that you know, they're going to have to, you know, pay some prices here pretty soon. Um, but you're right. They're taking their own. It's, it's a meandering path to to the main story. And I, I kind of like that, though, because it. I know some people wouldn't, uh, but it does really establish kind of the the status quo of being a student at Strange Academy and gives you different kind of uh, glimpses of their day to day life, which maybe four issues is too much of that. But uh, I, I like it. Uh, but I do hope they get into the main story with the hollow uh, in the next issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am enjoying it. Don't get me wrong. I think Scotty Young does a brilliant job of uh, characterizing these uh, all all the different individuals there, all the different students and, and faculty at Strange Academy. I think they've all each got unique voices. Um, I, I'm digging it quite a bit. Well, and I have a question for you. Uh, how long has Doctor Strange had a ghost dog? Oh, he's had a ghost dog for a while in his regular series. I got to read his regular series. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. great. I, I love the, I love, I love his, uh, you know, didn't start off as a ghost dog. So there is that. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I love that character. Yeah. And I like the whole mystical world, you know, Hellstrom, you know, Loki, um, uh, brother voodoo. I, I like the whole kind of magical, mystical, uh, world of Marvel. So I'm glad that this, Will hopefully be a series that kind of explores the wider mystical world. Yeah, I, I well, and I, and I hope that it gets the chance to do that. I hope it gets the chance to you know really kind of sprawl out and paint all those corners in. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, yeah, because I'm I'm really getting a kick out of it. So Wayne, Doctor Doom came out this week, and you almost missed it. Yeah, I don't know why, but I just did not see it on the list. And uh, you know, if you hadn't mentioned it, I would have missed it. 
Well, I hope you're I hope you're glad you didn't miss it. Yeah, no, I love this book. I love every issue of this book. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we were chatting before the show that I kind of felt like this was a big gear shift for this series. That issue eight really, you know, changed up the tone of the story. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested in your take on Dr. Doom issue eight. Yeah, a lot happened in this issue. And it's a lot of uh, big Marvel world changing things. Uh, you know, Doom took over, was it Samaria? The uh, whatever country Silver Sable runs. Right. Is now Doom's. It's the, now South Latveria. Yeah. <laughs> and the world just has to accept oh. it because there's the potential end of the world happening on the moon and Doom, they need Doom to help them. Well, and Doom told them, I'm going to go take care of this Simcaria thing, then I'll save you the world. Yeah, and you that's know, so it was. It was sort of like the world going, okay, you can you can have that country right south of you. You can go ahead and annex uh, Simcaria, uh, but uh, then you got to save the world. Yeah, I mean, and that's a huge payoff because that's been going on in Spider-Man, in Doom, and you know they've been building up for about a year and a half to you know of all of the conspiracies going on in that country to take out Doom. Yeah, so him finally getting that taken care of, but. From your, you're saying from a tonal shift, there seemed to indicate there's another alternate reality on the other side of what's going on in the moon, where there is a better doom, a doom that united the world, and our doom's been seeing, which they finally explained that's what he's seeing. Right. He's been seeing glimpses of that doom's world, and it makes him want to be a better doom. And that's what I find really interesting about this book is, you know, it's been a conversation throughout most of this eight issue run that Doom is interested in becoming a better man. Right. Um, and even though there are things that kind of get away from him where he makes decisions like in this issue, uh, you know, his uh, his uh, lieutenant victorious. He makes a decision that I think he knew was was a harsh, cruel decision when he made it. And you can tell he regrets it later in the book. You know, he has her, you know, we find out that uh, one of the people who had betrayed Latveria was her mother, uh, her long lost mother, who is Simcaren. And... Doom when when the the plot is exposed and overthrown, Doom has her execute has Victorious execute her mother, and of course that's going to poison uh, his lieutenant against Doom for the rest of their days when yeah. they had been so close. And you know he knew that it was it was a cruel harsh decision when he made it, and he even regrets it later in the book. Yeah, because she was the one person he could trust absolutely. Right. And I mean, now, he, he gave her the ultimate nullifier to hold on to. Yeah. I mean, that's how much he trusted Victorious. Well, and now we're seeing that she's finally getting some real character development. Yeah. You know, she doesn't immediately go against him. She's dealing with the fact that she's not all, you know, Latverian anymore. And what that means to her and what the country means to her. And we're, we're getting inside her head and seeing what she actually is thinking now. I, yeah. yeah, I love the book, but you're right. It's a complete shift about where it's going from here. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that is different about the book is that the book is told in splash pages, right? It's, uh, it is a, a, a narrative placed on top of, you know, these big two page spreads painting sort of the world view. 
and so you're not seeing these things happen in real time as as you as we have typically through the, through the run of this book. But it's Doom and others explaining what happened, um, and it really advances the story quite a bit. And I, I had this sense as I was reading about midway through the book, I'm like, oh my god, this feels like they're wrapping everything up, and that this series is about to end. You know, it felt like the book got canceled, <laughs> right? But no, it's just setting the stage for the next phase in the storyline of Doom attempting to become a better person. Yeah, and, and I, I don't care if Doom calls it the blaster buggy. That's the Doom buggy. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it. It's the Doom buggy. Well, I dug this book a lot. Uh, I, I think this series is fantastic. I am really enjoying Doctor Doom, I, and I, it, is a, it is a highly recommended read. Yeah, I, I've almost missed a couple issues of it, and I don't know why it just... I don't know if it's the covers or what it is, but for some reason, I don't see it on the list. And it yeah. is one of the first books I'll read if I buy it. Yeah. Well, it's it's a great, big, strong book. Now, elsewhere uh, in comics this week, uh, the, the much-anticipated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book, Last Ronin, came out. And, you know, I am not a big turtle guy. My turtles were the Eastman and Laird turtles, the the black and white uh, indie mags uh, back in the day. Uh, I had all of those, loved them, sold them when the, T- when the TMNT movie uh, came out, made a lot of money. It was great. Um, <laughs> uh, but those are my turtles. And so I, 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 I do not share the turtle experience that uh, you, Wayne, and Andrew had over the years. But uh, I am really curious to hear what you thought, Wayne, of Last Ronin. Yeah, so how this all came about, I remember watching the Toys That Made Us episode yes. where they bring them back together, and they haven't spoken in years. And you're talking about the Turtle creators, Eastman and Laird. Yes. Yeah. And they're walking through their old studio, and you see like the nostalgia and the memories, and one of them apologizes to the other, and you realize this wasn't just creators falling apart. These guys were best of friends. You know, they had found something in each other that was, you know, that they saw in themselves, basically. And it was so heartwarming watching that episode. And at the time, I was thinking it would be so amazing if they came back because one of them has the rights to to do anything based on the original Turtles. And this is what this is. This is is they got back together and they've started telling this story. It is a dystopian future where one turtle is the sole survivor. And I'm not going to spoil which one it is because you don't find out until the last page. But he sees his brothers talking to him throughout the issue. You know, they are there giving him advice and questioning him and, you know, basically just being the other turtles. Right. And as you go through, you get this big, like a dystopian world where the person who killed the other three turtles is the one running New York City that's walled off. And one thing I didn't care for, they have these really nice, clean, crisp flying cars. I don't think you get to have flying cars if you have a dystopian future. (laughs) You can't have both. You can have the flying cars or you can have the dystopian future, but you can't really do both. Well, what's the point in walling your city off if you have a car that can just fly over the wall? That's right. Exactly. And I mean, there are guns and things on the wall, but yeah, the flying cars were not an aspect that I liked at all. But other than that, it was a really good story. You know, a lone turtle on a mission to get revenge for his brothers and take down the guy that did it. Now, is this uh, an ongoing series? 
I think it's oh. going to be a miniseries. It definitely is not a one shot. That's for sure. Uh, cause it base it starts off with this huge raid that ends up not going the turtles way. And you kind of get the idea. It's going to become more of a, you know, I made my big play. I wasn't able to do it. Now I'm going to rebuild and take this city down from the inside. Well, this is a book I, I, I meant to read this week and just uh, kind of fell asleep last night before I got to it. So I'm I'm looking forward to reading it, and I will definitely be following along if it's as good as uh, as you have reviewed it as. Yeah, so I really enjoyed it. It is a strong turtle story with the lone surviving turtle. You do get at least one character brought back as uh, from a nostalgia standpoint. You don't find out who the turtle is until the last page, and I'm not going to spoil that. Thank you. But very, very good. All right. I will look forward to reading it later today. Then You guys were talking about alternate covers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are 65 alternate covers. <laughs> what? Holy roly. And there are little images of them that you can zoom in on on the back, you know, the very end of the book. All 65 alternate covers. 65. That is crazy. It That's is. Great. Hey, Wayne. Yes. What's coming out next week? Well, the much anticipated by us, Rise of Ultraman number three is coming out next week. Very exciting. Uh, Andrew, if you haven't gotten yourself a piece of Ultraman, you need to. I should I should pick up some Ultraman. Uh huh. Yeah. Is, is it a good good kaiju fighting uh, robot? It book? is. It is. It is. And uh, we I, we have loved uh, each issue so far. So I do really. I do slow really, build. Don't expect okay. to actually see Ultraman in issue one. <laughs> Uh, I do like Pacific Rim quite a lot, so I will I will check that out for next week. Yeah, Thor number nine. Uh, we've been uh, really on yeah. board with the Thor storyline. Yeah. Uh, a new U.S. Agent miniseries is starting. Uh, U.S. Agent. Oh, I, I hate ha- U.S. Agent. I haven't heard anything about this, other, uh-huh. but I like, always like the character. Aaron, and, U- uh, U.S. Agent was always the worst in West Coast Avengers. He was I know, the and that's what I, that's always kind of what I liked about him. All right, go on, Wayne. Sorry to interrupt. The final issue of Young Justice, Young Justice number 20, a book for Paul, Dark Multiverse Batman Hush, because Paul buys all the bad things. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, the book that none of us will be reading, part four of four, Transformers, My Little Pony. Wow. That's Wow. Well, you know, Tim's buying that. Yeah, yeah, someone's got to. He's a big pony guy. <laughs> well, hey, we want to hear what you think of the pony books and all the other books we talked about this week. Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on our social media, at IOMGeek. Check us out. We'd, lo- we'd love to chat with you there. Guys? Looking forward to doing this all over again next week. And we'll have to uh, make sure that Paul has learned his lesson. Happy Halloween. Have a great week. Very scary. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.